couple years ago when we, uh, when we started City Church, we uh, were kind of subject to where we could meet, uh, and the only place we could really find to rent was a beautiful chapel uh, over at the university. But the trick was we had to meet very early in the morning, and I can't remember whether it was 8.30 or 8 o'clock. But uh, it was early in the morning, and uh, one of the nice things about that is we as a, a church got in the habit after worship services of all going out to brunch together. And I think what uh, part of the reason we had such energy at the beginning of this initiative was the fact that we ate together each week and uh, shared life together over meals and just enjoyed one another's company and grew in relationship. And that's really what meals do for us. They bind us to people They carry a lot of significance, and that's why we've been looking uh, over the past couple weeks at all of these meals that are in the Scriptures, and uh, this week we're going to look at the meal uh, in Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 10. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for the power of meals. Thank you for uh, the the thread of meals that seems to weave through your scriptures, Lord. And uh, we look forward to that final meal where we will dine with you for all of eternity. Father, we pray that as we meditate on your word over the next few minutes, that you would speak to our hearts, draw us close to you, and help us to see the great things about the gospel that your scriptures contain. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but at least in our culture, it still is pretty inappropriate to invite yourself to something. You're at least supposed to, in our culture, wait for an invitation. And they come in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes they come in the mail. Sometimes they're evites. Sometimes they're Facebook things. But you still kind of have to wait for that invitation until you show up to a gathering. Well, in Jesus' day, no invitation was necessary because hospitality was an expectation that everyone was burdened with. But it wasn't really a burden. Actually, many people considered it quite a privilege to host someone, to have them over to their home and to care for them. And that was especially true if that person was someone of cultural stature. Well, at this point in Jesus' career, this is towards the end, and at this point of his ministry, uh, he had become somewhat legendary in the towns that he went to. 
The miracles, uh, the teachings, the stories, all the rumors had spread like wildfire from town to town in Jesus' day. His reputation had spread really powerfully in the ancient world. But one of the interesting parts of Jesus' reputation that was starting to really get around was the fact that Jesus made a habit of dining or of feasting with people who were known to be sinners. If you were with us uh, a few weeks ago when we started this series, uh, you'll remember that we uh, told the story about Jesus when he went and feasted or dined uh, with Levi. Levi became eventually a follower of Jesus Christ, but before all that, Jesus went and had a meal with him. But what the passage tells us is that Levi was not well-liked in his culture. He was a tax collector, which made him hated and despised by everyone around him. And yet he was the one that Jesus chose to feast with. And as a result, his life was profoundly changed. But that doesn't mean that everybody was happy about it. All the people that were watching couldn't believe what Jesus was doing, especially the religious community of Jesus' day were in shock over who Jesus chose to spend his time with, over who Jesus feasted with. You see, dining in Jesus' day, in many ways it is in our day too, was a sacred act. And yet Jesus chose to dine with sinners, tax collectors like Levi. They weren't worthy of such a privilege. And so Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're grumbling about. So he chooses this little dinner controversy to share about the nature of his kingdom. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Jesus declared this, this very thing, at the very beginning of his ministry when he interacted with Levi. And now the passage we come to this morning is at the very end of his ministry. And once again, we see a similar story of Jesus dining with someone who was quote-unquote a sinner. And then he uses that moment to declare once again what his kingdom is all about. Verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus, just like Levi, was a tax collector. Except what a passage tells us is he was the, the chief tax collector, which meant that he was the boss of guys like Levi. And what we're starting to see is that Jesus' story is escalating. Jesus went to dine at his home just as he did at Levi's, but this time not only the religious community was in shock over who Jesus was feasting with, but the passage tells us everyone was in shock. They couldn't believe who Jesus was spending his time with. Everyone was grumbling. Couldn't he go and dine with someone who was more worthy instead of someone who was so hateful and unworthy? So once again, Jesus pictures for us the true nature of his kingdom. He came to choose the dregs of society to be the objects of his grace. He could have dined with anyone that day, but instead he chose to dine with the hated and despised Zacchaeus. And it reminds us of something that we see all throughout the scriptures about the very nature of the gospel. It shows us that those that often believed they had it all together 
ended up being the ones that rejected Jesus. The socially put together, the financially self-sufficient, the religiously respected, the professionally revered, these were those who in their mind had no need for Jesus whatsoever, and almost all of them systematically walked away from him. But those that realized that they had nothing to offer him were the ones that ended up embracing him. Those who were hated and despised, those who were at the bottom of the social ladder, those who had come to terms with their guilt, those were the ones that were driven to Jesus because they had come to terms with their great need for him. See, in our passage, it says that Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. It's an interesting play on verbs there in the ancient Greek. Jesus, in verse three, it tells us that in verse 3, and, and, and we, we learn from the story is that Zacchaeus wouldn't let anything stand in his way. He was even willing to, to kind of make a fool of himself in order to see Jesus because grown men in Jesus' day didn't go around climbing trees all the time. But once Zacchaeus did find Jesus, he discovered that the Son of Man had come to seek him out. And see, what this passage tells us is, is it gives us a life story. It tells us that Zacchaeus' life is an example to us of what happens in a life that Jesus enters into. Zacchaeus becomes a kind of roadmap of discipleship of what life looks like when it is following Jesus. And I think there's two quick things that we see in his life that are important. His life is a picture of repentance And it's a picture of revolution because Jesus sought him out. First thing I want to look at is this idea of repentance that we see in Zacchaeus. Now, I think much of popular Christianity in our culture today uh, doesn't do a very good job of presenting who Jesus really is. Much of contemporary Christianity presents Jesus in a purely kind of utilitarian manner. His value to us is his usefulness to us. He is our savior and our friend. He is our comforter and our support. He is a way for us to go to heaven. And all those things are very true. And we are good with those things. But then we often get surprised when Jesus starts asking things of us. We get really surprised when Jesus starts leading us into hard places of repentance. See, repentance is a biblical idea that is really all over the scriptures. And it's when Jesus literally enters into our life and wakes us up to what is true. It's a recognition that the way that we have lived our lives has not been according to God's plan and his purposes. It's recognizing that we have broken his law, that we have offended a holy God, and then it becomes a recognition that we actually have to turn from the way that we have lived our lives. We turn from a certain way in which we were living to another way, a different direction. In many ways, it's a change in our affections. We recognize that we have grieved and hurt a holy God, and so our affections change, and we desire and work to turn away from the way we've been living and move our lives in a different direction. 
For a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a daily exercise. This is something we need to practice every single day. It's what it means to follow Jesus. But it looks different for every single person. You see, in our story, the focal point of Zacchaeus' repentance was his own personal sin of greed. And that, of course, is, is a sin that we are not unfamiliar with in our culture. We live in a culture of greed as well. A few months ago, uh, the biggest controversy in Baltimore was over uh, a set of monuments that were in our city. And many people looked at those uh, monuments and thought we ought to take them down because they represent the sins of our fathers. And there were arguments for and against the removal of those monuments. But what I kept thinking all throughout that controversy is this question. What are the unique sins of our generation that future generations will wind up being ashamed of? What sins are we blind to that will cause future generations to tear down monuments to us? And it wouldn't surprise me if in future generations or if future generations judge our age as one of the most greedy and materialistic generations in all of history. Because the evidence of that greed is everywhere. It's in our hearts, it's in everyone's hearts in both big and small ways. If you know me, you know that, that we have four kids in our house. So, so food goes off the shelves really quickly. So one of the things I've been known to be caught in is closet eating food that I don't want to share with anybody. So I stand in the closet and I eat them. So the evidence of this is everywhere. And I, I thought about that this week when uh, we learned about uh, several big name college basketball coaches who make untold millions in their jobs. And we learned that many of them made uh, underhanded deals with apparel companies in order to ensure that, that their athletes were drafted uh, by certain teams. And I kept asking myself, what is it that fuels millionaires uh, to that make millions of dollars in their careers to risk it all in order to make just a little bit more money? Well, the answer is greed. You see, Zacchaeus' unique sin of greed was great. As a tax collector, he would exploit the vulnerable in his town in order to just line his own pockets. And as a chief tax collector, he could exploit the other tax collectors to line his own pocket as well. He could be the exploiter of the exploiters. And that's in many ways what he was. And in the process, he had become incredibly rich. But then he met Jesus. He met Jesus and everything changed. His repentance didn't earn his rescue, but it certainly was the fruit of his rescue. One commentator said this, The grace of God embodied in the meal with Jesus liberates Zacchaeus from his enslaving greed. So we see repentance in the life of Zacchaeus, but we also see that repentance went hand in hand in his life with a personal revolution. Because when Zacchaeus met Jesus, his repentance turned his greed into generosity. 
You see, this wasn't just a slight tweak or a slight change in Zacchaeus' personality. It was an absolute revolution in his life. Verse 8 says this, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Think about this for a minute, what we see in Zacchaeus. Imagine that something interesting entered into your life and changed your life. Something that, that captured your affections so strongly that you immediately took half of your money and all of your assets and you gave it away in one single stroke of generosity. Imagine what your family and your friends and your coworkers would be thinking if you did this. Imagine what your financial planner would be thinking when you told him what you had just done. But this is exactly what Zacchaeus does in our story. It tells us that he tracked down everyone that he had defrauded and restored their money to them times four. You see, the Jewish law required much less than this for restitution. So because of this, families would have been restored from the brink of poverty. His act would have radically blessed the entire community that was all around him. In an instant, many would be blessed financially beyond what they were owed due to Zacchaeus' injustice. Friends, this was over-the-top radical generosity. There's a passage in Romans chapter 1 that talks about the gospel. And the adjective that it uses for the power of the gospel is the word dunamis or dynamite. And what that means is that when the gospel comes into someone's life, when that power enters in, it is a complete revolution to one's life. It is a revolution that explodes and changes everything about them. You see, the gospel exploded in Zacchaeus's life and it turned radical greed into radical generosity. See, this passage also speaks to the unique revolution that Jesus came to bring. And make no mistake, friends, Jesus was a revolutionary in all that he did and all that he said. But his revolution was unlike any other revolutions known to man before. Instead of a greedy lust for power, Jesus willingly gave it all away. He willingly gave his own life on the cross, sacrificing himself so that the grace and forgiveness of Christ could revolutionize the lives of those who recognize just how unworthy they are. So friends, if you're here this morning and you're still weighing the claims of Christianity and wondering who this Jesus was really all about, know that Jesus didn't come just to offer a quaint way for you to be spiritual. He doesn't simply offer a a nice morality that you can live by He certainly doesn't offer a one day of a week religion. Instead, Jesus wants to revolutionize every single aspect of your life. His gospel is like dynamite that when it is set off, it changes everything about you. So recognize your great need for him. 
Recognize your own sinfulness and rebellion. Repent, turn from living selfishly and independently and turn towards God and experience the work of the gospel in your life. You see, repentance and revolution may look different for you than it did for Zacchaeus, but it is essential for anyone who really and truly encounters Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and and you are one of God's own, you have made uh, that decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ and follow him, then let's hold one another accountable to live out this revolution. Let's hold one another accountable to not settle for a safe and low-risk, low-reward spirituality. Eugene Peterson, uh, who I read a lot, uh, tells a story about how when he was a young person, uh, loved studying the French Revolution. Uh, I don't know much about the French Revolution, but, but he loved it. it. He read stories about it. He watched documentaries about it. He, he got caught up in all the energy and the emotion of the French Revolution, and just it just uh, increased his passion. So he decided, I'm going to go and I'm going to take a... Uh, I'm going to go take a college course on the French Revolution so I can grow in my passion for it. But he says when he got there, he said the the professor was so dull and boring that it stole all the joy and the life and the passion away from this subject matter that he loved so much. And when he writes about that, he writes that, that he often sees that in the context of the church or even his own church. He wrote this. He said, I had a congregation of saints and sinners who knew everything about the Christian life, except that the gospel had redefined everything and everyone, set everything and everyone in a participating relation to a holy God. Something like what the revolution was to the French in the 18th century. The energy that created a community of free men and women plunged into a new life. Friends, this is what being a follower of Jesus is really all about. It's being plunged into a revolution. One has to wonder if if part of our lack of influence culturally is because in many ways we've anesthetized the revolution. There was no question at all to everyone who knew Zacchaeus before that his life had changed in radical and profound ways. So we have to ask ourselves, do people take notice of the power of the gospel in our lives? Do they see the revolution at work in our hearts and in our values And in our passions. Because when we step into the revolution, we imitate the self sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we reflect the kingdom of God for all of the world to see. Repentance and revolution, the true picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray.